1: Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. As part of the General Services Administration, the Federal Acquisition Service, or FAS, works to deliver comprehensive products and services across government at the best value possible. How does FAS push efficient and effective buying practices through category management? What is FAS doing to help agencies make the right acquisition decisions? And what does it mean to be the executive in charge of the professional services category? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Tiffany Hickson, Regional Commissioner for the Northwest and the Arctic within the Federal Acquisition Service of GSA. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Kunal Sarabanchi. Well, Tiffany, welcome to the show. It's great to have you.
2: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Kunal, welcome back. Glad to be here. So, Tiffany, before we get into specifics around your portfolio, could you give us uh, an overview of the mission of uh, the U.S. General Services Administration's Federal Acquisition Service, FAST? How is it organized and how has it evolved to date?
2: Well, the Federal Acquisition Service is uh, within GSA is responsible for acquisition government-wide, and what we primarily focus on is providing acquisition vehicles, um, contracts, because we also provide vehicles. That's our mission. It's all procurement, all acquisition, all the time. And uh, over time, uh, FAST has actually evolved, um, and the Federal Acquisition Service was actually established in 2007. And out of legacy organizations that were the Federal Technology Service and also the Federal Supply Service. Well before my time um, at GSA, um, I joined GSA about five years ago. By the time I joined GSA uh, and the Federal Acquisition Service, uh, FAS, uh, as an organization, really had its foundation in place, is organized, really today, uh, is organized around categories of spend.
1: So you have multiple roles within FAS. Um, could you tell us more about your duties and responsibilities, and uh, could you describe the portfolio you lead and how you support sure. the overall mission of GSA?
2: Yeah, I have a number of jobs yeah. at the moment. Oh, I think that's just a yeah, well, yet, <laughs> or quadruple-headed <laughs> or something like that. My day job is what I like to call it, um, exactly, is as, uh, as the assistant commissioner for uh, a new portfolio, a new organization within the Federal Acquisition Services, which is the Office of um, Professional Services. Services and human capital categories. That's a really long title. Yeah, so we do have an acronym for that, like all good government organizations <laughs> do. Um, and so I oversee uh, for FAS all contract programs uh, that support professional services or human capital um, services. So basically, anything that's a service that's not IT um, or construction related is under my portfolio of work. And that includes the professional services schedule the OASIS multiple award contract, the HCATS multiple award contract, um, our human capital schedules, of which there are two, um, one that's focused on temporary services and one that is focused on traditional human capital services. In addition, my organization oversees the Smart Pay program that provides the federal government with fleet travel and purchase card uh, services, and that supports about three million cardholders. So it's a, a very broad portfolio of
1: work. So what does it mean to be a regional commissioner? That's in oh, title. yeah. That's
2: another job, yeah. too. Uh, right now, um, in terms of being dual-hatted, mm-hmm. um, I also serve as the regional commissioner for FAS for the Northwest Arctic region out of Seattle, Washington. Um, and so I, I really am the face to the customer in the Northwest mm-hmm. um, and really facilitate connections across the federal acquisition services to other portfolios. So, for example, if I've got a customer uh, in the Northwest that has an IT-related requirement, it's me and my team that supports making sure that Mary Mary Davey and her team, right, um, are supporting that customer, but we're really the face to them and help facilitate their requirements. Same for fleet Mm -hmm. um, or property uh, disposal and that kind of thing. So,
1: So with such an expansive portfolio, uh, what are your, say, top management challenges and have you sought to address those challenges?
2: Uh, I, for this year, given that the organization is brand new, starting a brand new organization, what really is effectively a, a business, right uh, within the Federal Acquisition Service, we are fee for service, and so just getting the basic foundation in place. And for what the does that org-
1: mean? Because a lot of mm. folks may not realize that you're not appropriated. That you we actually are not appropriated.
2: Yeah. We are fee for service. Um, so I've got to figure out, just like all good businesses, how to cover my costs, uh, make sure that we're being efficient, effective, delivering the best value for uh the services that federal agencies need in that space. Um, So the challenges this year really have been about, you know, the fundamentals. Uh, What's our budget? How many FTEs, how many employees do we need? How many team members really to be effective? Policies, procedures, how do we want to do our work? Um, Part of the goal of aligning most of the parts of my organization came from other parts of FAS and so across multiple portfolios. And so we're really trying to build, um, who are we? What's our vision? What do we want to accomplish over the next three years? Um, and how do we do that as a team? Um, mm-hmm. Everyone's coming from their you know, own or legacy, really organizational perspective. So it's, you know, if you had to start a new company, it's all those challenges.
3: So along with those challenges that you've mentioned, um, you know, they can also be unanticipated and unexpected surprises. Mm-hmm. To that end, what has surprised you most since taking on this current role?
2: In terms of setting up a new organization, I I actually haven't had a lot of surprises. For some reason, I always get myself in these positions where um, at the with the Department of Commerce uh, many years ago when I worked there. I established a a number of new organizations and new government-wide contract programs. I then moved to DHS um, and helped to establish a number of new contracting offices there. So setting up a new organization within FAS um, really hasn't, in terms of the fundamentals of that, I haven't had um, a lot of surprises. I knew it was going to be a big challenge. I think in terms of what has surprised me uh, since I've joined GSA, As a customer of GSAs before I I joined it, I thought I understood really what FAST did and the services that were available to me, you know, as a federal agency customer of GSAs. Um, I have been continually surprised, um, been surprised about how much work I think we've got left to do to really educate other agencies about, you know, we are fee-for-service, you are paying for a fee for us to deliver services for you, and I think that a number of agencies really aren't leveraging right mm. the services that we've got available to them. So that's an aha moment for me fairly frequently mm. and that we've got a lot of work left to do in terms of outreach to our customers uh, and to make sure that they're really getting the best value um, from us.
1: So given your background and your experience, um, what characteristics make an effective leader and what leadership principles have guided you?
2: You know. I- I think being a, an effective leader, and I've been in the SES now for almost 10, 10 years, and I think you, you come to high-level leadership roles, I think, with this certain set of expectations, like you have to do it a certain Okay. And I think over time, what I've really learned is you have to be authentic um, and be yourself. Um, everyone's got their own, you know, leadership approach and in, in, in terms of, you know, how they tackle challenges in their organization. So I think being authentic um, is very, very important. I think you have to understand what your organization does. For one, that's always helpful. But mostly because I, I, you have to know what you want to contribute. I um, you have to have a vision. Uh, you have to know what things it is that you're, you're able to achieve and be realistic about that. And then uh, for the team members that support you, collaboration and really folding their talents into making sure that we're achieving those goals in a thoughtful and crisp manner, um, I, I, I think are key things in terms of how I, I lead. Mm-hmm. I'm very values driven. I think integrity is a big deal. And I don't think that's necessarily just true for government. I think having integrity uh, and relying on that as a core value of how you do your work is really important. And collaboration and, you know, all of those, you know, core kind of leadership things that we're we're supposed to be doing. It's not just shelfware. I mean, those are real things, and they help you be successful.
1: How is GSA transforming the way professional services are acquired? We will ask Tiffany Hickson, Regional Commissioner for the Northwest and Arctic within the Federal Acquisition Service, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition, I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Tiffany Hickson, Regional Commissioner for the Northwest and Arctic within the Federal Acquisition Service of GSA. Also joining us from IBM is Kunal Sarvanchi. So, Tiffany, what is category management? How does it work within the federal government?
2: Well, category management is really an organizing principle, a management principle uh, that um, really the private sector has been using for a a number of years as a methodology uh, to better manage their spend, really make better use of their dollars from a procurement perspective Mm -hmm. and for efficiencies, effectiveness, making sure that they're really getting the best value from uh, their suppliers um, when they're making purchases. It is not strategic sourcing. I'll talk about what it's not, um, because I think in terms of what it is to the federal government, uh, we're still figuring it out. Okay. Um, you know, there are core concepts uh, in terms of what category management is, and I'll walk through five of those, uh, at least in terms of how we're rolling that out today, which is the first is really optimizing your contract vehicles and really the contract landscape Uh, second is how do you manage your data and collect data and use data to make better business decisions Really maximizing the relationship with your customers, and in our case, you know, that's federal agencies. Um, so they're getting the best value from a frontline mission perspective. Um, we're using information and contracts to actually deliver stuff so people can achieve their missions, which is really the the main point of this. Leveraging uh, relationships with our key suppliers and the supplier base in general, um, and doing that in a very thoughtful way, in a structured way, with repeatable practices, uh, and then also sharing best practices. How do you do this right with frontline buyers? I think those are really the core focus areas for category management and government now. But we're just starting. I'd like to use the UK uh, as an example. Um, They implemented a number of category management uh, principles and techniques in terms of how they're managing their government spend. Um, And it took them years. And they're still evolving and still learning. We've had an opportunity to spend some time with the Canadian government as well. Um, And they're also using some of these techniques uh, in terms of how they're better managing their federal spend. But it's really about the principles um, and these concepts and then thinking through what's the right tactics to get that implemented. And we're at the early stages of that. It's going to take
1: time. You mentioned earlier that you are the federal category manager for professional services category, I am. Uh, what and you kind of hinted a little bit about what that includes and what it doesn't include. So, could you give us a high level overview of what that portfolio includes, but also what kind of, how much spend are we talking about under this particular category?
2: Yeah, there's a nice nexus between what I do every day, yeah. right, uh, and my my appointment as the government wide professional services category executive, um, but the jobs are different. Um, and from a GSA perspective, you know, I'm focused on really using category management principles for those contracts that GSA has. And those account for about 25% of spend government-wide in professional services. And that's 25% of $69 billion a year. And so the government-wide uh, view of professional services is it's running anywhere between 65 to $69 billion a year uh government wide it's got an industrial base of about 34000 contractors that participate in that space annually we award government wide a little over twenty three thousand new contracts a year for professional services. It's very, very broad um, and you know my my job in that space, um, and I've got a small team of folks that help me do this is to really start to understand what's happening in terms of that spend government wide over the last year. Uh, we spent time really looking at the data through the federal procurement data system. What are people buying? How is that categorized? What contract types are we using? How much contract overlap is there um, among key suppliers? Um, is that good? Is that bad? Do we know yet? Mm-hmm. So those are the, the types of things that I focus on with my government wide hat on, which is it's very diverse, broad. And, you know, I work across agencies, right, to start to answer those questions, at least those use. The top ten users of professional services government wide. I do.
3: You know, you've talked about this, and I, let me ask you this: You had a, you, you all established a strategic plan for professional services last year. Uh, what are the key areas of focus in this plan, and what are your strategic goals that frame this vision for this government wide effort? And who are the top agencies that help you formulate your strategy?
2: Sure, and actually, that's our second. St- attempt at a strategic (laughs) plan, right? Uh, Well, it's new, right? So we learn a lot every year. And in developing this last strategic plan, we worked with uh, the Department of Defense uh, on each one of their major services, uh, including the Army, Air Force, Navy, and what I like to call the fourth estate, right, which is everybody else, (laughs) In working through what their priorities are uh, within a, a category management framework, right? Uh, we also have uh, Health and Human Services, Justice. NASA, Department of Transportation, uh, Education, the State Department, and of course the Small Business Administration. That really helped us take a look at, we, in year one, we did a lot of data analysis and said, hey, here's where we think the challenges are. What do you all think? Uh, And then developed um, our, our last strategic plan. So the key issue really for all agencies in government for professional services is really the requirements. Um, And, you know, we hear this from industry too, right? Um, How do you write a good requirement? What are the right contract vehicles to use? How do you price that well? How do you compete it so you're really getting um, proposals that come in that um, provide you with a choice uh, in terms of best value to deliver that particular mission requirement? And that's really where agencies want us to focus first. Um, I think there's been a lot of discussion around strategic sourcing, um, reducing contract duplication is important in the services space, um, but not as important, right, as really helping us buy better from a services perspective. So that's the primary focus. We are looking at reducing contract duplication Not necessarily the number of contractors that are participating, you know, in the market, but really how do we rationalize the number of contracts that are out there? So if, you know, you've got 1,000 contracts, and let's say they're all IDIQ contracts that are effectively – buying the same thing, right? How do we start to think through how we can kind of fix that problem to reduce administrative overhead and costs for industry? Um, So those are two major areas uh, of focus for us. We also, as we're we're starting to think through implementing new strategies, uh, ensuring small business participation that we're achieving public policy objectives um, as we implement new initiatives is also a key area of focus for
3: us. Stephanie, you mentioned that you're trying to better analyze what goes into your spend. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand that about 40% of expenditures for professional services category falls into this broad category called other. Mm -hmm. Uh, How has the Federal Acquisition Service worked to better analyze what goes into spend? in this area.
2: Well, we did it the hard way. (laughs) and What I mean by that is after we said, wow, 40% of that spend is other, and and this is from across government, right, not just for agencies that use our contracts. Um, And so we pulled an interagency working group together, um, and we pulled, one by one, uh, each one of those uh, reports in FPDS, or the Federal Procurement Data System try to understand how come they were categorized as other. And so we spent last summer uh, working through that and did a pretty good sample size. Uh, We didn't pull every single one of those transactions because there are thousands. Um, But what we saw... Um, is one, we need to expand the the number of categories um, or really codes, right, that contracting officers are using to categorize what it is that they're purchasing. And really that subset of 40% that were categorized as other are really um, solutions or full solutions that include IT as well as professional services, so they don't fit neatly into, you know, um, what really is our traditional kind of tagging structure um, that contracting officers have been using. Um, so that was really kind of the biggest takeaway It's the big major weapon systems programs. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're really, you know, full solutions that include a number of different things. There's just no way that they can categorize it in the um, federal procurement data system today. So that was a key learning for us. And uh, I know this is really hardcore contracting geek stuff right now. <laughs> but it's important, right, in terms of us understanding uh, what's working, what's not working, how do we really need to code this work so people understand what it is that we're actually purchasing. Mm-hmm. And so that was key takeaway. And so we are now working on saying, hey, we need some new codes. Um, and what does that mean? How long is it going to take us to to get that through, you know, the regulatory cycle and policy cycle and that kind of thing? That, so. Th- they are. They're very, very large. Um, and But, you know, that's good. It's good to know. Right. Uh, also on the coding side, um, in terms of really understanding span, because it's such an important part of really the techniques that are used in category management, is you got to understand what you're buying. Are you doing that well? Who are you buying it from? Um, I, in terms of the first steps that we're taking from a federal perspective is we're really looking at that spend through a product service code lens, mm-hmm. right? But industry mm-hmm. sees their participation in the market through a NAICS code lens, right? right. We even have them register through, you know, SAM or our Central Contract Registry using NAICS codes. Um, and so we've been talking a lot this year about there are at least two and maybe three different ways that we really need to be looking at spend government wide, uh, in particular for services. So next year we may actually be looking at it from a PSE code perspective, from a NAICS code perspective, for strategic suppliers uh, in the services space. They don't come to market by category of spend either; they come to market by mission space. Mm-hmm. So if I'm talking to you know our our strategic Providers and those are really kind of the top 100. They're not organized. You can't go to their company, and and I've tried. By the way, mm-hmm. I said so. Tell me who's handling all your professional services stuff. And they're like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> you know, I, I can send you know the, the head of our defense sector, That's right, true. or homeland security sector, or health sector, you know, to come talk to you. Um, so we're really, again, since we're at the beginning, really starting to think through how do we really establish those views so we can get aligned with industry. That's the whole point, right? So we can connect ourselves with the right people in industry so we can start to think through what are really the right strategies that we need to have in a particular mission space um, from a contracting perspective long-term. This is just building the foundation.
3: So, Tiffany, how does applying category management to professional services differ from its application to the acquisition of commodities? Uh, What are some of the unique challenges you face when you apply category management to services as opposed to commodities?
2: You know, it's interesting. There's been a lot of focus, right, on on the commodity side. And I think, you know, where the federal government started was strategic sourcing, right? Strategic sourcing is one procurement approach for how we buy things, whether that's services or commodities, right? Category management is not strategic sourcing. You know, category management is a management approach. And for services, I mean, I think we just start from a completely different viewpoint, right? Uh, It isn't commodities. We're not buying in bulk. Uh, For the most part, in some areas of services, we are. Um, We do have some commoditized services, and I like to use identity protection services. is priced very, very differently than if you were buying something that's high-end engineering support or program management support. So it's just completely different, right? And we start from the what are the challenges that the, the market is facing? What are the challenges that contracting officers have? What are the challenges that program managers have? Uh, where is their duplicative um, and redundant costs Right, built into um, how we're acquiring services government wide. Those are the things that we look at, which is very different than you know what's the unit price that we're paying for a, a laptop. They're very, very different questions, um, and that's why we started first with focusing on how do we buy this better. Um, you know, there are people that do this well. How do we share? Um, how do you buy? program management, support services in an effective way? How do you do that uh, in a performance-based way? What are good models for that? If you're buying a highly you know, integrated and total solution procurement that includes IT you know, and services, how do you structure that in a way that makes sense and is really delivering value? So I, th- I think where the focus on commodities may be, at least today, right, the, the focus on a unit price. On the services side, we're really looking at the total cost of ownership. Um, how do you drive cost out of the total system? Um, so that, that end service that's getting delivered to the, the mission, right, is being done effectively. I think they're just... Fundamentally different in terms of what we're looking at. Is
1: there, there is. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is a, a thought process that if you're if you're trying to drive cost out of the life cycle for a service, you may be buying the services cheaply, but you, but the government may not be getting the value it wants. Is there any legitimacy to that that kind of a claim?
2: Cost is not price. Okay, um, and I think we're... I think one we 're still figuring out what category management is going to mean for services right government wide and I think when we talk about cost right now, people think about price i'm not okay. talking i 'm not talking okay. about price i 'm um, talking about the cost of that whole life cycle of you know getting a service delivered to you know a a mission mm-hmm. in, in a cost effective way, which means did we spend two years writing a requirement? Uh. Um, how well was that requirement written? Um, Did it make sense? Did it have the right drivers um, and incentives, right, in the requirement to get what we needed from industry to deliver that mission capability. That's what I mean by Perfect. by cost. Perfect. Perfect. How long ta- did it take us to get through the procurement cycle once we got the requirement defined, right? Do we have the right funding structure? How is that funding structure adding cost? Someday, maybe we'll get to, you know, not having annual appropriations and that kind of thing, because I'm guessing that there's some cost. Right? I believe there is, cost that gets driven into the acquisition, you know, life cycle, because we're not being as thoughtful as we could be about funding. So, you know, I think the focus tends to be on the instant transaction, the instant procurement and the price or the price that we're paying for a labor hour, instead of really looking at the full cost of what's the typical acquisition, what does that cost? If it's $20 million life cycle, uh, we haven't even begun, right, to look at those questions, baseline what those costs are, understand, you know, where we are really driving costs into how we're acquiring services, and then how do we get it out? You know, I am not talking about getting rid of best value contracting yeah. for an instant procurement action. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't
1: think that makes sense. That doesn't make sense. So, so to me. It. <laughs> no, know, it, it, it's a great point. It's a good distinction to be made. And just to switch gears a little bit, what is the Acquisition Gateway and how can it help federal agencies succeed?
2: Well, the Acquisition Gateway is a website. It's pretty straightforward where we are sharing a number of digital tools um, and best practices. Um, so each of the, the 10 government-wide categories, and there are 10 professional services is just one, has its own what we call a hallway. Uh, And in those hallways, uh, we share best practices. Here's examples of good statements of work for certain types of services. We just hosted a webinar week before last on organizational conflicts of interest uh, and had, you know, the lead intellectual thinker, uh, in my opinion, uh, in government from NASA, uh, do a webinar. Uh, We had over... 250, almost 300 uh, participants that learned from her. Here are the things you contracting officer need to think about when you're managing organizational conflicts of interest in your contracts. Um, we also have a number of digital tools there. We have a tool that's called CALC, where program managers and contracting officials can go in and do market research um, about here are all the GSA contracts that are awarded. Here's what the labor rates are. Here's, you can slice and dice that data six ways to... To Sunday, uh, and, tr- and it really can help you develop um, independent government cost estimates, that kind of thing. So uh, it's really just a resource um, uh, for uh, the federal community to learn about how to do this stuff better. Um, industry also has access uh, to the Gateway, um, and so we're sharing more information with industry as well and looking for their feedback.
1: How is GSA reducing contract duplication? We will ask Tiffany Hickson, Regional Commissioner for the Northwest and Arctic within the Federal Acquisition Service of GSA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour.
0: What are the strategic priorities for the Defense Health Agency's Component Acquisition Executive? How is DHA changing the way it acquires products and services? Join host Michael Keegan next week on the Business of Government Hour as he explores these questions with Dr. Barclay P. Butler, Component Acquisition Executive at the Defense Health Agency. Next week on the Business of Government Hour. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio 1500
1: a.m. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Tiffany Hickson, Regional Commissioner for the Northwest and Arctic within the Federal Acquisition Service of GSA. Also joining us from IBM is Kunal Serebanshi. So uh, Tiffany, what is being done in the area of improving requirements development? Uh, What are some of the challenges in this area?
2: There are a lot of challenges. It's really, as we talked about earlier, the, the key challenge really in the services space, um, whether it's professional services or, or IT services. And one of uh, – as part of our work um, in developing our government-wide strategic plan for category management this last year, we laid out eight key initiatives – and the first being, and, and I heard this from industry as well, is we really need to get focused from a requirements perspective and getting back to performance based contracting in, in a meaningful way. And that really helps develop um, a repeatable structure, process, template, right, for writing requirements and can really support us in reducing, we hope, uh, some cost, um, right, from the acquisition system and being more clear about those requirements um, when they're issued in a solicitation, right? There was a tool developed uh, a number of years ago, the Seven Steps to Performance-Based Contracting. And it kind of has been out there in the ether uh, in the internet um, and didn't really have a sponsor to take care of it. So we assumed possession from its owner are refreshing the whole tool. Um, And the goal with the tools, now it's not called seven steps because I guess there's now eight or nine steps or something. Um, So now it's just the steps to performance-based contracting. And so we're refreshing that digital tool um, that will walk uh, an acquisition team through the full life cycle and provide them with templates, best practices, how do you write a good performance based work statement, what needs to be in there, templates um, for quality assurance plans, and how are you going to monitor performance and that kind of thing. So um, we're starting with that and are working uh, with agencies across government to get their input into what they'd like to see in that tool. And we're going to start there, see what happens, right? Is it helping us to define requirements better? Is it not? So that's one tool that I, I personally am working on. I think the Department of Defense and Homeland Security both are also doing some very good work uh, in really thinking about requirements management from a, a far more strategic perspective. Um, and I'll talk about DOD. I'm a, big fan of what the Department of Defense is doing, not to speak for Ken Brennan, but I'm a big fan of uh, what what they are doing over there. And, and they have developed um, a services acquisition workshop, which is a facilitated three-day session where a whole acquisition team comes in and uses some of these techniques uh, in, in performance-based contracting, and they lock everybody up in a room, spend a couple of days together, and at the end of that, have a requirement. Document that everyone who's a key player for that acquisition, from finance to program to procurement to counsel, um, have helped develop that requirement. Um, I happened to be able to participate in ASAW that DOD uh, helped me with for identity protection services year before last when we had to put a a big contract in place to support uh, federal employees that had their data breached. It worked. We've had experience um, with that requirement and procurement because I still manage it. Uh, There's a couple of things I would tweak, and we are. We go into the next generation of that procurement, but it really served as a very solid process uh, and document uh, in terms of requirements uh, and stating those well and that kind of thing. DOD is also, uh, just in terms of managing what they're buying, um, they've got a, I'll probably get the acronym incorrect, but a services acquisition a review board mm-hmm. um, where they're actually looking at from a demand management perspective before you can go out and buy something and even get to doing a services acquisition workshop that supports the individual procurement is looking at why are you buying this? Yeah. What do you need? Is someone else already buying this? You know, how can we leverage these dollars better across multiple programs? Um, so, they are being very thoughtful from a strategic perspective in doing those reviews, um, which I think it helps in terms of aligning requirements strategically across the department, across the service, right, before they actually get to defining an individual procurement's requirements. So, they're really taking it strategically as well as tactically.
3: Tiffany, um, what is being done to define and designate what they call best-in-class contracts that position the government to improve the total cost of management for these contracts as well as competition and small business utilization?
2: Yeah, best-in-class contracts are uh, really a, a new concept, right, that OMB asked us to start to implement over this last year. And so each Category is looking at government-wide contracts that have certain good attributes, right? Um, they were developed by an interagency working group, right? So they reflect requirements from across government. Uh, we're able to get pricing information. Industry was, you know, a key partner from a market research perspective and in getting the procurement done uh, in, a, in a thoughtful way. So Based on the criteria that OMB has laid out for us, we've started first with government-wide contracts and working to designate them um, as best-in-class where they meet the criteria. In the professional services space, government-wide, OASIS um, and OASIS Small Business have been designated as best-in-class. Our SmartPay contracts, both SmartPay 2, which is our current contract for uh, uh, purchase travel and fleet cards is a best-in-class contract. Almost all agencies use that contract government-wide. Smart Pay 3, which is on the street now, uh, being recompeted, competed uh, will also be a best-in-class contract. My GSA hat on, I also manage HCATs and uh, HCATs small business. Those have been designated as best-in-class contracts. So, that's as far as we've gotten on the services side.
3: You know, you, you mentioned the importance of industry. Industry is really integral to the success of category management. Mm-hmm. Would you tell us more about your supplier relationship management strategy? Uh, how, does that, uh, how do you use it to reduce costs, eliminate waste, improve transparency, reduce risk, drive innovation, et cetera?
2: Well, we don't have a strategy today, (laughs) and uh, out of the eight key uh, areas of focus that I've got government-wide this year, developing um, a supplier relationship management uh, strategy and program um, is item number three in terms of the, the priorities that we've got. We're still trying to understand what that's going to look like. How do you make sure that strategic suppliers uh, that we're engaging with, and that's really what supplier relationship management is about, right? How do we get their feedback? How do we, in in a structured way, government-wide, it's really hard. Um, No one's done it before. How do you align the challenges uh, and leverage your strategic partnership with those those key suppliers and align their feedback to what's happening from a mission space perspective, right? And so we're working with industry right now on what that really needs to look like. We've spent a lot of time talking to small businesses as well as mid sized companies in terms of getting their feedback about how they want to have a voice, what their concerns are from a government wide perspective, what the challenges are that they face in terms of competing in a services market across government. So we're just getting that feedback. Uh, and my goal is by the end of this fiscal year that we will have a, a real you know, supplier relationship management strategy and program um, that we'll be able to discuss with industry next year. Given the change in administration, I'm waiting for our, our new leadership, right, to get in place so we can get their feedback before that gets rolled out. So we're at the very, very early stages.
1: You know, one of the biggest roadblocks – In acquisition services the number of protests by contractors who have lost a federal contract and just for our audience if uh, you have a bid in and you lose you can protest um, if you're a vendor so I was astonished because I'm kind of dating myself too when I first got in when I my previous hat in consulting it was almost verboten as a strategy to protest and in 2008, I was astonished by the numbers. It was like 1,600 protests, and now, in 2015, it's almost 1,000 more, 2,600 protests. So to what extent has protest become a fact of life, and how can agencies you know, factor in the costs associated with protest into the acquisition life cycle?
2: It, it is a fact of life. And I think there are probably some larger systemic changes that need to happen in in terms of how we're better managing that environment. Due process is a a really important part, right, of uh, how we we manage most major processes in government, right? So before I say this, um, I am not saying that we shouldn't have protests at all. I think it's an important part of the process. But from a practical perspective, every procurement that we do now, uh, you have to factor in protest time. You have to factor in those costs, and that is today, right, just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, right, realize that protest risk— yay, um, you know, we, then we we didn't have to incur those costs and we didn't have to lose that schedule, right? right? But I think if I'm a program manager, I just have to factor that time in and have to start really my procurements, um, especially the big ones, This is really where we're seeing most of the pro- protest activity, uh, probably about a year earlier than you would, let's say, 10 years ago. And it's, I think, a real challenge. I think it's a real cost for industry. It's a real cost for government. But who really pays in the end is the mission. Uh, in terms of getting those capabilities delivered, I think there are certain mitigating strategies that uh, contracting officers can take on uh, trying to mitigate that protest risk. But to be candid, I, I've been on some of the most high-performing contracting teams where we've engaged industry they have been part of market research. We've folded in all their comments. We've been completely transparent in terms of the source selection. Um, I think for IDIQ contracts between Oasis, Alliant, and HCATs, right? We're even pushing the envelope in terms of you can even rate yourself, Mm -hmm. right, before you put your proposal in. And that still has not mitigated Mm -hmm. uh, the number of protests uh, that we're we're receiving at the time of awards. So I I think it's a real challenge for the community to work through.
3: You talked about IDIQ contracts. Uh, And you've also mentioned uh, your efforts to reduce contract duplication. In fiscal year 15, uh, the government awarded more than 23,000 new contracts, more than 73,000 new orders. uh, And many of them were, there were IDIQ contracts Mm -hmm. as well. So could you tell us a little bit about your efforts to reduce contract duplication?
2: This year, we're really looking at, one, understanding, you know, where there is duplication. So part of our data analysis, and again, not, you know, super glamorous work here, it it is necessary. Um, And until you've got facts Mm -hmm. and understand what's driving that behavior, it's going to be difficult to formulate a strategy where you can really, you know, fix what's driving this, right? Contracting officers and program people aren't out there just saying, hey, I woke up this morning and let's go award a new IDIQ contract right? There's something underlying, right, this behavior. And based on what we've seen to date and the analytics that we've completed to date, there are a couple of things. For government-wide contracts in the services space, it's either they don't have the right contract type. And what I mean by that is they don't allow for cost reimbursement contracts. Um, We do have government-wide contracts that um, and schedules in particular that, you know, are labor hour based, you know, that kind of thing. So there are some challenges there, even in terms of that pricing type. They don't have the right industrial base, right? So in particular for our GWACs and our multiple award contracts, once we compete those IDIQ contracts, right, we close the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're a buyer and you're a contractor, you want, you've want you got an incumbent, you want to let them compete, they're not on that contract, Well, I don't want to use that contract. So what you end up doing, or you don't see your scope, or you don't understand the scope of existing contracts that are out there. And so you're left with the, you know, I'm trying to achieve these five goals. There is no contract out there that achieves these five things for my agency. So I'm going to go do my own. And that's what I'm seeing in terms of driving the behavior. And I think in terms of how we fix that is that we've got to have contracts that actually meet all those needs. Right. Um, Where industry can come in and out of a market when they want to participate, that we've got government-wide contracts that can support that full range of contract types. So those contract vehicles are structured in in a way that really is meeting the mission needs and what a contracting officer believes is needed to do that. I think that would go a long way if we had this, you know, Nirvana, right, contract uh, that met all these needs. I actually think it's achievable but we've got more work to do and thinking through how could one really accomplish that?
1: you know speaking about more work to do, um, could you give us an update on the uh, on achieving uh, the cross agency priority goal for professional services category? Uh, do you anticipate the goals dramatically changing
2: well i i I'm like others you know waiting for um. Right, some guidance, yeah. So I can't speak for the the new administration. And today we are working within the current, you know, CAP framework. Um, and we're making fairly good progress um, in the professional services space, in particular for small business. Um, small business participation is, is a CAP goal. Uh, for services, um, actually government-wide, uh, there has been an increase in small business participation over the last four almost five fiscal years. So organically, even without, you know, the, hey, let's get focused on this as a federal community, um, small business participation has been going up, which is good news. Uh, In terms of savings, I was very, very conservative uh, in terms of... Identifying savings without a baseline, right, in terms of how we're measuring cost and cost avoidance and getting cost out of the system. It's fairly challenging to develop targets in terms of savings in the services space. We did have some opportunities uh, for doing that. Um, our smart pay contract, in particular, agencies get uh, rebates uh, when they use any of the card platforms. So there's about today, about $272 million a year uh, in savings that we get. I mean, government-wide, granted, that's a a drop in the bucket, but it's a start and something that we can measure. So those two areas we're doing pretty well in terms of reducing contract duplication. um, And what I'm talking about is master, you know, prime contracts, master contracts, that kind of thing. That's what we're focused on. Um, We're at the Early stages of that. Right. And based on policy that has come out from the Office of Management and Budget uh, and also the president's recent uh, OMB memo they have directed agencies to start to use existing contracts, um, which I think will start to drive behavior. And for those agencies like GSA that own those contracts, I think that it will also force us to really start to answer some of the questions around why agencies don't want to use them, what's not working um, about the contract. So, it's a work in progress.
1: So, you know, you can't do all the, you're doing a tremendous amount of stuff uh, government-wide and in the regional commissioner role. So, but, but you can't do it all alone, right? So I, I want to know, what is the Category Management Leadership Council, and how does it help you?
2: The the Category Management Leadership Council, I, I'm really there to help them. Okay. okay. Um, so. And, I mean, it, the only reason that we're doing this, right, is for, you know, those acquisition leaders who are responsible for, you know, acquisition in in their agencies is to help them and their acquisition communities be more effective. Um, So they're really a sounding board and the requirements owners for me. Um, That's how I see it. And so when we go brief the CMLC, Um, It's about, here's what I heard from the federal community, and we do rely on the top 10 agencies that have the most spend in professional services along with SBA in providing that feedback. Um, I present that feedback to them and say, hey, this is where I think we need to focus this year, you know, and for services, again, where it's pretty strategic and pretty basic at this point. But... It's their job to tell me you're on the right track, you're not on the right track, we agree, we don't agree, um, because they're the senior leaders that really are accountable and responsible, um, you know, for the management of their acquisition program. So that's how I view the CMLC. And they do give me that feedback, which is helpful. It's been very helpful.
1: What are some of the key issues that will affect acquisition and procurement officers government-wide? We will ask Tiffany Hickson, Regional Commissioner for the Northwest and Arctic within the Federal Acquisition Service of GSA, and our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. From forging a unity of effort in homeland security, to strategizing today how to field the U.S. Army of tomorrow, to pursuing affordable housing, eliminating fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare, and securing cyberspace, the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition, I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real world experience with practical scholarship. The purpose is not to offer a definitive solution to many of the management challenges facing government executives, but to provide a resource from which to draw practical, actionable recommendations on how best to confront these issues. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. We bring you insights and interviews from government executives who are changing the way government does business. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Tiffany Hickson, Regional Commissioner for the Northwest and Arctic within the Federal Acquisition Service of GSA. Also joining us from IBM is Kunal Serebanchi. So, Tiffany, I talk to a lot of my guests about the uh, use of collaboration and partnerships uh, among agencies and the private sector to achieve mission results. How are you leveraging partnerships and collaboration to improve operations and achieve your program outcomes?
2: Whether it's for government-wide category management in the professional services space or it's about the contracts that, you know, I manage, um, it is about the agencies that use them, right? It's not about GSA. It's not about the category plan. It's about helping them be more effective. And if uh, the only way that we would know that is that if we ever actually ask them. Um, and what was unique when I, I came to GSA and I really did come with a customer agency perspective. Um, was that we had no formal way of actually getting that feedback, or even informal mechanisms. Um, so I, I think the one thing that has been really nice about um, category management is, as a community, it has forced us to come together and really start to prioritize um, and understand the challenges that we're facing in certain areas of, of purchasing. Um, and if we don't do it as a community, we're not going to be able to solve the problem. So collaborations are really, really important part of the process. Um, You can't solve a problem if you're not actually having a discussion about what the problem is. Um, And so I have found um, from a government wide perspective, the last really 18 months uh, to be really, really helpful in terms of very quickly being able to address, you know, what the issues are, or at least prioritize them so we can start to tackle them. From a GSA perspective, it has been immediately apparent to me. Um, now that we're actually talking uh, and collaborating um, and understanding how to solve some of these challenges, what it is I need to do uh, to better support uh, those those federal agencies. Um, the other thing that's been nice is it isn't about, you know, GSA or me and my team solving all these problems. Um, almost all the agencies that participate in this space have volunteered um, to take on certain challenges, uh, certain procurements, um, certain best practices. We talked a little bit earlier about a webinar that we had about OCI. Um, We're also working with uh, another interagency working group on how to better support civilian agencies with contract audit support services that are contracted out. There are 14 agencies that are participating in that working group uh, and are collaborating on developing the requirements. What are the key challenges? What electronic tools do we need to do this better? What types of data sets that do we need? Um, And really in the space of a six-month time frame have been able to come up with an acquisition strategy that is not going to result in a brand new contract, Mm -hmm. but ordering guides and best practices. And, you know, we did that as a community. So that collaboration piece is really important in terms of, you know, driving results uh, and, and prioritizing
3: them. Stephanie, do you have any indication on what the Trump administration might do with the government-wide category management initiative and your category of professional services in particular?
2: Well, the the Trump administration has not talked to me about what they're going to do with my category yet. Uh, I expect that they will. Um, I think the president's um, and OMB's memo – Uh, related to transforming government um, and really leveraging uh, efficient contract types, right? Uh, And uh, category management said a lot. Um, And I think agencies are still, including us, right, are still getting our arms around the guidance that was in the memo. Um, But I think it was certainly an indicator that us working at a Enterprise level across government uh, is a priority and something that we need to stay focused on. I think the management techniques and tools that we use are probably a second order, you know, question. Um, but really, the fundamental concepts of category management um, really are driving, you know, the priorities that OMB laid out in their memo.
1: In my opinion, so Tiffany, uh, you're putting on your, um, you know, looking into your crystal ball and transitioning to the future. What are some of the key issues that will affect acquisition and procurement um, offices in the government over the next, say, couple of years? Some of the key issues.
2: Uh, there are some real challenges, you know, that are coming in uh, the, the next really, I think, three three to five years and maybe even one to three years. Real challenges uh, for the acquisition community. Um, you know, we have been talking about almost everything we talked about today. We've been talking about for the last 25, 30 years, right, in terms of how do you write good requirements, how do you reduce and speed up the cost of doing a procurement, you know, that kind of thing. And I think the pressure on the acquisition community to really start to address these issues and make some improvements, you know, head on, uh, is coming and coming very quickly. Um, For some agencies, I think they're going to have, um, in terms of shifts uh, in... Um, funding priorities, right? Um, I think they're going to have some real challenges um, from a resources perspective in meeting uh, really the requirements to drive down cost, uh, improve, right, the speed in which we're getting procurements done. Uh, within um, the resources that they've got. I think there's going to be one part of the federal space that is going to have that challenge. Um, I think other, as priorities shift, right, we'll have other parts of the federal space uh, and acquisition community um, that's going to have the opposite problem, right? They're they're really going to have to be uh, improving how they're doing acquisition at the same time more resources may be coming at them, mm-hmm. right, given increased uh, mission demands. Um, and I think that's a completely different set, right, of challenges after working at DHS during its stand-up. I remember what those days were like. And it it is challenging. Um, And you want to do thoughtful acquisition and good procurement and be efficient and effective um, in doing it. but when it needs to get done and get done right now, um, sometimes balancing those two priorities, you know, for, you know, part of the government that's going to have this new mission pressure, I think is going to be a real challenge. So it's almost kind of a tale of two cities, right, or, um, in terms of the kinds of challenges that different parts of the government are going to be facing.
1: Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, but, you know, before you go, I, I want to ask you for some advice. What advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service?
2: I would say do it. Um, I am, to this day, um, and, and I love public service. It's my passion. Uh, I think you've got an opportunity to uh, make your country actually a better place. Um, and that may sound trite, um, but I actually believe it. Uh, Every day I come to work, and even if I make it just a little bit better that day, um, it means something to my community. um, And that's important uh, and valuable and rewarding. Um, So if someone wanted to come into government, and I'm out there recruiting them all the time, so they're welcome to give me a call if they're interested uh, in working for my organization. (laughs) Uh, Please join public service.
1: Wonderful. Well, I, again, thank you for coming in. But more importantly, Kunal and I would like to thank you for dedicated service to the country. Well, thank you. Um,
2: I, I sincerely appreciate the opportunity to talk about the work that we're doing um, at GSA and in our government-wide professional services category.
1: This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Tiffany Hickson, Regional Commissioner for the Northwest and Arctic within the Federal Acquisition Service of GSA. My co-host from IBM has been Kunal Suribanchi. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org.
0: What are the strategic priorities for the Defense Health Agency's Component Acquisition Executive? How is DHA changing the way it acquires products and services? Join host Michael Keegan next week on the Business of Government Hour as he explores these questions with Dr. Barkley P. Butler, Component Acquisition Executive at the Defense Health Agency. Next week on the Business of Government Hour. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m.